Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Bobby Maximus and Joe Sabula, brought to you by our title sponsor, Lalo Tactical, www.lalo.com, and another one of our sponsors, MeatLocker.com, for your best choice in steak and meat. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great, Bobby. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Ready to get into this. I'm excited to uh, interview you. All right, let's do this. All right, so just uh, to give everybody a little bit of a background, we're in episode two of the Maximus Podcast, and since Joe and I are co-hosts, we thought, uh, what better way to start the podcast than interviewing each other, because we, we want to get to know you, and we want you to know us and, and what we believe in before we really move on with this whole thing. So I thought, take the opportunity, you guys can get to know us, and uh, hopefully you guys can learn something along the way. Yeah, here we go. So. Joe, I, I, I kind of want to start with you a little bit um, because you and I have had an interesting journey. Uh, we met, obviously, through work. Uh, mm-hmm. You came when I was in charge of a gym called Jim Jones and, yep. and teaching the certification program and uh, the CEO slash general manager. Mm-hmm. You came through the system there. And we met, I want to say, 2015 or 2016, maybe? Somewhere, yeah, somewhere around there. It was May. I remember that. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about how you got to that point. Like when we met, kind of what happened uh, with you before that and what brought you uh, to seek some further education? Sure. Um, So prior to that, I was mostly just involved in CrossFit. So I owned uh, an affiliate here in the Twin Cities known as CrossFit Twin Cities. And it, it was actually kind of interesting how I got involved in CrossFit. Uh, a good friend of mine who was on the uh, the University of Iowa Taekwondo team with me uh, back in the, the early 2000s. I captained the team in uh, 2000, 2001, and he was my college roommate. He had uh, moved to Chicago. He was doing his own uh, private training business, and I had moved on with, with other career options and just kind of doing my thing. Uh, and I ended up living in the Twin Cities, and he calls me up. Um, it's, gosh, it's had to be in the spring of God, probably 2010. Uh, and he said, Hey, I'm coming up to the cities. I'm going to do this certification course. I said, Oh, what is it? He's like CrossFit. I'm like, never heard of it. Uh, but he ended up coming up that fall, uh, spent the weekend at my place and he was just so fired up about it that a week later I went and did my first intro class. He was a big fan of Jim Jones after the movie 300 came out. Uh, and I don't know who he spoke to, but he had emailed back and forth with somebody at Jim Jones and they actually suggested that he find a CrossFit affiliate. 
since he was in Chicago and obviously Jim Jones was in Salt Lake City. Um, and so that's kind of how he ended up hearing about CrossFit and getting involved and getting certified. So uh, years later, um, I found out uh, Tommy Hackenbrook was coming into town. He was doing a, uh, a kind of a training for the CrossFit Games camp, like a two-day training camp. So come on down. I'll, I'll show you how I train, uh, go over some of the methodology, uh, talk about the future of the sport. So me and one of the assistant coaches at my gym went down to do that. And, of course, it, it came to pass that everything that he has, had been talking about was directly from you, Bobby, since you had coached his uh, youth CrossFit team uh, in the Games. Um, so he was talking a lot about Jim Jones, a lot about Bobby Maximus. Uh, and so it just kind of made me chuckle. It's like, you know, gosh, the wheel turns however slowly. You know, Jim Jones kind of got my buddy Ethan involved, got me involved, and now here we're back. And it's like, you know, maybe I should look at doing that certification because I'd, I'd had a, a membership to the website. Uh, in fact, it was shortly after that uh, my buddy Ethan called me up again and said, hey, let's do the Man of Steel program from the website. So we shared a uh, uh, a membership to the website and did that program. Um, it was his 40th birthday that spring. I want to say that was 2015. And for his birthday, we decided that we were going to go do the Jim Jones Level 1 since it was in uh, in Missouri at a, another gym. And that's kind of how we ended up there. So I'd been running a gym, uh, doing some training, kind of playing around with stuff. Um, but yeah, that's that was sort of the thing. And that's how we ended up there at that time. And, you know, it's super interesting for me to hear that story because, you know, it's it's not necessarily a public secret that Jim Jones and I had a nasty breakup, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- there was and, and to be honest with you, mostly from their side of the fence. I mean, there was a lot of insults slung at me and, and, and various things like that. And yeah. there are times I, I almost want to resent my time working there. But then when I hear stories like this. Um, you know, with, without that gym and obviously I'm not there anymore, but I wouldn't have met you and you, I mean, frankly, you become one of my closest friends. Right. And so, so hearing stuff like that, it, 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 it warms me a little bit because it makes my time there worth it, if you will. Yeah. Um, but one of the, one of the things that, that is also interesting with that is the amount of education you came in with. Like when we met, one of the things that immediately struck me about you was the amount of education that you had. And, yeah. you know, feel free to add to this list because I, I, I don't have everything <laughs> memorized. Um, but I want to say you're a CrossFit Level 1 certified trainer, yeah. uh, a CrossFit mobility coach, a CrossFit powerlifting coach, weightlifting coach, a CrossFit gymnastics coach, Mm-hmm. Um, I think you were really, really high up in the, in the Tony Blauer spear. Yeah, I was on, I was stuff. on his, uh, his mobile training team and did a lot yeah. of, uh, CrossFit defense stuff. And for those of you that don't know, Tony Blauer is one of the, I'm going to say one of the leaders in, in tactical fitness, if, if, if I can call it that and self-defense yeah, readiness type, yeah. type training. Um, I want to say you're a weight USA weightlifting certified referee, a sport yep. performance coach, yep. uh, You've done the Grey Cook functional movement screen stuff, mm-hmm. uh, an international youth conditioning coach, yep. uh, a youth nutrition specialist, uh, second degree black belt in Taekwondo, um, yep. a third degree black belt, I think, or fourth in, in Kumdo, which third is, degree, is, yeah. is essentially Korean sword fighting. Right. Uh, I mean, you've got a list of accomplishments here that is is tremendous. Um <laughs> And what I want this to lead into, because this is kind of where I'm going with this, one of the other things that struck me was 
the amount of education you have, the amount of certifications you had, but on the other hand, you know, one of the things I noted, and we talked about this, was on the physical side, you'd kind of let yourself go a little bit. Yeah. To a degree. Um, you know, for someone that's that passionate about fitness, the fact that you weren't in top physical form, it, it, it kind of confused me, frankly. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about what led to you. I mean, you're obviously passionate. You don't take that many certifications without being passionate about something. Right, right. So tell me a little bit about what, what led to your, your physical demise in that sense. Like what, what, <laughs> well, what I guess happened? it, you know, the, when you look back at kind of like how everything came together, like if you knew all the details of the story, it's like, it makes sense. Yeah, of course I would have all those certifications. Of course. Um, when I, uh, when I got involved with, with CrossFit, I ended up working just as a coach at CrossFit Twin Cities. I eventually worked my way into, into being the sole owner of that gym. Um, but in the beginning I was just a coach and the only real, I guess, certification that I had was the CrossFit level one. Uh, and I think it's a great course and it's a great program, but it is just a weekend cert. You know, people say it's a thousand dollar t-shirt. Um, it's good material, but it just opened a door. It was like, you get a little bit of an introduction to a lot of different things. And so as a young coach who was kind of eager for more, I was just looking for opportunities to go a little deeper down that rabbit hole. Um, the CrossFit specialty, uh, course program is really good at that. It brings a lot of, uh, of like high level coaches together with CrossFit people. And we kind of share a common language. Uh, and so I've said in my career, it's really CrossFit that bridged a lot of the gaps. So for me, it wasn't like I wanted to go be a great, like a, like a CrossFit gymnastics coach so that I could be a better athlete. I was doing that for the people at my gym so that I could coach them better. And then I went and I did the CrossFit powerlifting one. And I mean, that one blew my mind. That opened a whole world for me. And based on what I learned there, I got very involved in powerlifting and weightlifting and got tremendously strong, like ridiculously strong. But I really was doing that for the people at my gym. You know, the movement mobility thing didn't fix a problem I had. It fixed problems the people at my gym had and that my clients were dealing with. And so every time I reached out, I was kind of doing it for other people. So by the time I had come to the Jim Jones certification, I mean, I, I was working out. I wouldn't say I was in like terrible shape, but I definitely didn't look the part of a guy who was a full-time trainer um, who, who owned a gym and had dedicated his life to fitness. I had a lot of extra weight, uh, you know, just not, not what you would expect. Well, and I want to say that that's a very common problem among coaches. I mean, I've obviously certified uh, a ton of people and, and I met thousands of different coaches around the world. And to be honest with you, I think a majority of coaches that I have met have not been in top physical form because the coaches that really care, the trainers that really care, they dedicate their lives to others and serving others. They're, yeah. they're usually not doing it for themselves. Yeah. And that becomes a problem when you're teaching classes all day, when you are essentially an emotional dumping ground for other people's problems, <laughs> when you're putting energy into fixing their diet, fixing their stress levels, fixing their life, you don't have a lot left at the end of the day to focus on you. Yeah. And, and, I, and I mean, just the life of a coach. I mean, you're up early, early in the morning to go open the gym, do morning classes. You might have a couple of classes in the morning. Then you got to come back and you're working late. Because people want to come in after work. And so your your life schedule gets kind of awkward too. Yeah, it's not. A, I mean, it's honestly not easy to be a coach and be in top physical form. So 
fast forward a little bit, and, and here's what I really want people to get from listening to you speak. One of the reasons that we are such good friends, one of the reasons that I work with you, and one of the reasons you've, I mean, essentially earned my respect forever is the transformation you went through. Right. Um, I remember we had a talk about business development stuff, and I was very frank with you. I, you know, I, I said, Joe, you're one of the smartest guys I know. You're a person that I rely on to teach me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was calling you up and asking you questions. You're one of the most certified guys I know to get knowledge from you. Yeah. And but one of the pieces that was missing from a branding standpoint is you don't look like you practice what you preach. Yeah. And so. I, I, I'll take a bit of credit for it. I kind of urged you, maybe pushed you a little bit. Into, <laughs> I kind of, um, doing this transformation, uh, type, uh, type of program and you were a hundred percent ready to, uh, yeah, the, the time was right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I remember the conversation we had was at the Jim Jones advanced seminar. I was in kind of a rough spot leading into that. Um, uh, we had had a, a, a difficult time with my family my uh my wife was very ill she ended up in the hospital the week before and so coming out to that was it was hard but it was something that i had put so much effort into and so much planning and investing you know i had to had to get the tickets and pay the fees and all that stuff so i wasn't just gonna let that go but when i showed up i really was not in a great just mental and physical state i was really stressed out during that week uh i came over to uh to the the garage there the church of bobby maximus and we really just kind of had it out and we just said, look, like, here's where we're at. Like, here's, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm dealing with. How do we get to that next stage? And that was that conversation said, well, you have to, you absolutely have to look the part like more and more just on the surface. That is key. Like nobody's going to listen to a word you say, e- even if you're the best coach in the world, if you don't look the part, it was like, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And everything else that I had been doing, I needed to just sort of put aside and say, well, look, what's the plan? What are we going to do? Uh, and that's where you kind of came up with the idea of just following what was in the book and just doing the, the 12 week transformation. So hook, line and sinker, I was in. Well, and it's funny because we live in a day and age where Instagram, the internet, uh, other forms of social media are so important. I mean, you can be the smartest guy in the room, but nobody cares. It seems that in fitness, People really care about what you look like with your shirt off. Like yeah. that's a big part of the puzzle. And listen, I'm not saying for, for people out there listening that you can't be a good coach if you're not fit, but people are very unlikely to listen to you. If, if our goal is to help people and our goal is to spread the message, looking the part helps us accomplish that. And yeah. so you, you were put on the, the, the book itself is called Maximus Body, a, a book I wrote with Michael Easter for Men's Health. And you went on the 12 week program. But one thing I want to stress with this and with you, as we get into giving people some actionable items that they can use to improve their lives at home, because that's the purpose of this whole platform or whole podcast is, Mm -hmm. you know, with the intent of of making people better. Uh, We could talk about the program in Maximus Body, and I think it's a great program, but that's not why you succeeded. I mean, really, I want to say the reason you succeeded is because you showed up every day. You didn't quit when it got hard. You managed your sleep, your stress levels, and mm-hmm. you were eating properly. And with all these things happening in conjunction, I want to say you could have picked workouts out of a hat and you would have been successful. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. I don't think the the magic wasn't in the program. It was in how I attacked it. Yeah, for sure. And, and you were extremely dedicated. Yeah. And so 
One of the things I want to focus on, and, and you had kind of neglected to bring this up earlier, but you haven't always had the easiest life. Uh, you've worked as a corrections officer, yeah. which working as an LEO is not easy, not good on your stress levels, not good for sleeping, working the midnight shift. Yeah. That's obviously difficult. Um, you, you went through a divorce before. Yep. Um, yep. You mentioned your wife got sick. You ran a full-time business, which is very difficult to do to run a business and be a professional athlete. So you've, you've, you've always seemingly had the deck stacked against you to a degree. You haven't been in an optimal circumstance to train and be at your best, but even while running your business, you were able to figure it out. So what changed? Like, what was the number one thing you can tell people about what you changed? Like what changed in you when you finally became dedicated? Well, I think part of what, what that was all about was kind of accepting that that's where I was saying, okay, this is where I'm at today. And my life is not just going to automatically shift itself into a perfect position, you know, where I'm going to be able to, to, to get 10 hours of sleep a night and have every meal be perfect and 100% control over my schedule, uh, and, and, you know, appointments I have with clients and everything else that comes up in life. Um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to get it perfect. And that was like, okay, so what's the next best thing? Sort of accept your circumstances and then find the challenge in it and say, what can I do despite all of the things that are against me? You know, what can I do with what I've got? Would you would you then say it's fair to say that you had almost given up before? Like you'd almost said, this is my circumstance. I'm not able yeah. to change it. I'll just Abs- accept yeah. being unfit. Absolutely. And I think a lot of folks fall into that, too. You know, where it's like they might be following a really good fitness program and then they hear about something else and it sounds better. And then they realize the one they're following. Well, it's not the perfect program anymore. And so it just falls by the side and that now they become, you know, a program jumper. They're just jumping from program to program without ever actually following through. Well, and that's my favorite type of person, right? They go from program to program to program to program. And I use the term favorite person. I'm being completely (laughs) sarcastic. But you jump from program to program, but the problem's never the program. The problem's you. The fact that you don't work that hard. The fact that you don't prioritize your health and wellness. The fact that you're not willing to do everything it takes to be at your best and so no program's really going to work for you. No, so, and I think the, the program gets to be a crutch where it's like, well, I did what was in the program. So obviously I worked really hard. Yep. And 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 so now, now you're in this place where you went through this incredible transformation and we spoke daily during that period. Yeah. Um, I want to say during those 12 weeks, you didn't miss one workout. No. And that's in terms of you were training twice a day. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what. Uh, what tricks or what tactics did you use to make sure that happened? Because I feel like when you were off track, it may have been easy to skip a workout. It may have been easy to put your stuff to the side. Time management wise, what did you do to allow yourself to, to, to be in a position for success? Well, one of the, the first things, I think probably the most important thing I did was I scheduled those workouts. So I knew what time at, in the day I was going to do them. You know, and when, when something came up like, Hey, can we do a phone call at this time? Can we do something at that time? Like, no, sorry, I'm booked. I am absolutely booked. You know, get back to me at one because noon I'm not available. Um, so, so having that blocked off and treating it like an appointment, you know, treating it no, no different than I would treat uh, an appointment with a client that I'm working with. I was my own client. 
at that time. This is my time to work. No, and that is super important. And that's one thing that I recommend to people daily is make a time and keep it sacred. No matter what happens, if your workout times from four to five, that's your workout time. Don't get, don't let anything get in the way of it. Yeah. I actually once, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I, I trained a guy. Um, I, I say I trained him. He uh, came to a seminar and one of the things that he did to get himself back on track is he went to the gym every day from four to five, even if he didn't want to work out. Yeah. He'd just sit there. But he was dedicated enough to being in the gym. And it was funny because he said what started to happen is he would get there and he wouldn't want to work out. But he figured, I'm here anyway and I'm stuck here till five. I might as well do something. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. He'd, he'd start to do stuff. And that was the big secret to how he turned his life around yeah. was simply showing up. So that's number one. You want to schedule your workout times and keep them sacred. The other thing that, that goes along with that is I'm sure you had to learn the power of no as well. Yeah. And one of the things that I talk about is we all, we all, uh, and, and I talk about this a lot, but we all get scared that if we say no to people, we're going to be perceived as selfish, Yeah. but you've got to learn to say no to people. So did you, did you encounter any situations where you were judged for keeping your workout time? Because this is something that happens, right? Mm -hmm. Especially with the holidays, because we just passed through them where somehow on Christmas day or Christmas Eve, if you want to sleep, you want to drink, you want to have a nap, you want to go for a walk, you, you, you want to do whatever, totally okay. But the minute you want to go work out, you're an asshole because yeah. you're selfish <laughs> and you're, did you experience any of this during your transformation where you had to kind of shut people down? You know, I can't think of a specific situation that came up. Um, I, I talked with my wife and actually with my family, we live with her parents and I said, for the next 12 weeks, I'm doing this. So when I say it's time to go work out, it's time to go work out. That's the most important time for me. And they supported me in it. So I think that was one of the things that was huge was that it, it never became, especially my home life, an issue. At work, uh, you know, in, in being at the gym, it just kind of became the thing. Like people just knew, don't bother trying to get a hold of coach at such and such a time because he's doing his thing. So would you say it's fair to say so that people can 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 kind of institute this way of living into their life at home that you set a precedent early on? Like it, it, it almost sounds like you laid the law down with your family and your employees and the people in the gym. That yeah. you were like, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going to happen. It's non-negotiable. And sticking to it, because if I would have caved once, then that time's not sacred anymore. Yeah, and that's super important because it is hard for people around us when we change our behavior. When all of a sudden you're unavailable, when all of a sudden you're focusing on you, people around you can have a difficult time with that. So I, I, I think the fact that you set a precedent probably lent itself, I mean, really lent itself to your success. Yeah, and I think there, there's even like subtle things about, about the power of no, like when your phone's ringing in the middle of the workout. And not answering it because I mean, text messages come through, you know, and, and you have to have the, the, I don't know what the word I'm looking for here is, but you have to be willing to just say no. Uh, one of the, the phrases that I heard during the 12 weeks was that when somebody is calling you, you don't have to feel compelled to answer the phone. Them calling you is a request for your time. If you're booked, you're booked. Yep. You know, you can take a message, call them back later. And like I said, during my workout, my phone would ring. I just swipe it off. Not available. Yeah. And you also wouldn't pick that up if you were in an important business meeting with an right. investor. You wouldn't yeah. pick up the phone. And But you could argue that your physical fitness is as important to your brand and your job 
is meeting with an investor. So why not yeah. treat it like that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of you were going twice a day, obviously, the 12-week program in the Maximus mm -hmm. body is twice a day. Do you think, because uh, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to say, well, I don't have time to train twice a day. And I've went over this a million <laughs> times. Not having enough time is bullshit. Right. There's, you can always make time. Let's You'll make time for what's important to you. But for the people out there that really believe they can only train once a day, do you think you could have accomplished the same level of success on once a day? Absolutely. It just would have taken longer. Okay. You know, and, and we've talked about this before too, you know, d doing two a day in 12 weeks, like you can, you can achieve a certain result, right? Yep. But if you do one away, one a day, for six months, you'll probably achieve something similar. It's just going to take longer to get there. Got you. So you're buying into the long road at that point. So if you want, yes. if you want a radical transformation, you might have to train all the time for, let's call it even six weeks, right? You might be training three times a day. Yeah. If you're only willing to train twice a day, it takes three months. If you're willing to train once a day, then it takes six months. So you're, you're not saying spend longer in the gym. You're literally saying that the, the process of the transformation just takes longer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the transformation process, it's, it's a little bit like, like grab, you know, grabbing a, a lung full of air and heading underwater because you got to dive in and you got to work at it and you got to stay there. You know, it's one thing to, to maintain a, a calorie deficit for a day. It's another thing to do it every day and every day for a week, for a month, for three months. You know, so I think doing the short thing is almost more attractive to people because it, it is short. You can kind of see the light at the end of that tunnel and you can say, yeah, I could throw myself in and I can work really hard for that amount of time. I, I actually think there's something to doing the long road as well. You know what I mean? Like being able to stay yep. there even longer, but you don't have to hold, like you don't have to dive quite as deep then either. And so it's not like you're trying to get two hours of workout into one hour if you're doing a six-month transformation versus a, a three-month transformation. You're still just doing one hard hour. I mean, you can only pack so much in. But well, you, also, other, you, you don't have to cut as deep, which is the other thing. But the other thing that's good about it too is because since your transformation, you haven't trained religiously twice a day. No. Like it's, it's almost like when you achieve a certain amount of success during that three months – you don't have to continue that forever. You can maintain then off once a day. I mean, it's much easier to maintain yeah. than lose weight or or gain weight or gain success. Yeah, once you've been there, it's easy to get back there. It's like you kind of know the way, you know, so you don't get you don't get lost in the weeds with it. Uh, and I think that's very true. It's been a lot easier for me to maintain my my body weight and my physique where I'm at than it was b before. And I suppose there's also, I mean, there's also the maintenance thing, but there's another big part of the equation here because it wasn't just work in the gym that helped you achieve the level of success. And when I say the level of success that you had, um, you're going to look in the show notes after this, uh, after this podcast, and you're going to see the tremendous transformation Joe made. Joe, it's incredible. I mean, to the point, you were featured by Men's Health Yeah. for your transformation. I mean, you were used in one of their feature online stories because it yeah. was it was that shocking what you were able to do. And in that amount of time too, it was not a long a long time three months. That's a it, yeah. It was <laughs> it was good. The results no, were good. And I knew you, and and we were good friends. And I had a hard time believing. I think I accused you of being on steroids at one point because uh -huh. <laughs> the results were that remarkable. Um, so it wasn't just the working out to be, to be honest with you. It, it was also because I, you know, had a behind the scenes view of this kind mm -hmm. of deal. You also, uh, were paying attention to your nutrition and yeah. your recovery. 
And yeah. so let's talk about what were some of the things you did nutritionally to drive this transformation? Because as, as much as, you know, three months, twice a day, you could have also maybe trained once a day and been even more radical with nutrition to yeah. make up the, to make up the ground. So what kind of things were you doing with food and diet to help drive this? What, what if you could give people, I'm going to say five rules to follow, what would they, <laughs> what would they do? These, these were the five. We came up with these right at the beginning. We said, okay, what are we going to do for nutrition? And we kind of came up with this. Um, and, and I want to point out, like, there, it's not, uh, uh, there's not some magic in what I'm going to say here. It's mostly just behavioral modification. So the five rules that I lived by um, during the transformation, and even really to this day, uh, it was less than 100 grams of carbs per day. It was less than 500 calories per meal. Um, I ate no carbs after 3 p.m., Yep. I, I didn't eat any food within three hours of bedtime and staying hydrated by drinking at least a gallon of water every day. Okay, so I'll be honest with you. I am completely lost, and this sounds incredibly complicated. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> it, it, it honestly, like, like the, the way you just put that, it sounds pretty simple, almost too good to be true, to be honest with you. When, when we talked about it, we decided kind of that these were the rules. It, they all came from something. It wasn't like we just pulled these out of a hat, right? We, we, we relied on a lot of our experience. We were both uh, fighters back in the day, so we understand like cutting weight as a fighter. Uh, we're both coaches who've, you know, and, and I've got certifications in nutrition. Um, and, and so kind of coming up with this list, there, it, it was a process. So it sounds real easy when you rattle it out. But like, you know, the, the low carb approach, like there's good science behind that. I don't think it's the only way that we could have done it, but that was the way I needed to do it. Right. The no carbs after three, like I've been accused of, of all kinds of, uh, uh, mischievous miss science on that one alone. But for me, it's just because I struggled late in the day. You know, I usually would get my two workouts in pretty early in the day. I would get up and do, do kind of my cardio workout then. Uh, fasted, I would get another really hard training session in, in the, the early afternoon. And if I had any kind of carbohydrate after three o'clock, I would just crash. Then I was just hungry. I was craving it. So I just knew if I cut it off and I would say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm dying for some ice cream. It's Monday night at 9 PM and I'm just dying for some ice cream. You know what? I can have it tomorrow. Well, and, and let's face it. If you're going to break late at night for anyone listening uh, to this right now, if you're going to break late at night, you don't fall into a bowl of broccoli or right. you don't fall into like a, 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 a chicken breast. Now you usually open up a bag of chips, uh, mm -hmm. a pint of ice cream. You, you crack a beer, you, you drink some soda. Like we make bad decisions at night at the end of the day when our energy is low. Yeah. And, and the one rule that I was maybe the loosest with was the not eating within three hours of bedtime, because there were some nights when I just got home late, I would get home at nine o'clock because I was coaching all evening. And so I wanted to like, just finished a workout, coached a couple classes, just didn't have you know, a kitchen at the gym. And so then I'd come home and my, my go-to was an egg white goat cheese omelet is all fat and protein, no carbs. And not like I was suffering. You know, yeah, so, like, so you're, you're essentially saying if you had to eat then before, during that three hour window before bed, yeah. you would basically go carb free. You'd make a yeah. good choice that you actually enjoyed and go carb free. Yeah. So for people listening at home, maybe that could be a steak. Yep. Maybe that could be some ribs. Maybe that could be uh, a burger with no bun, but something that's relatively enjoyable that would fill your stomach and kind of almost stave off the sugar and carbohydrate cravings, if you will. 
Yeah. And, and staying hydrated is a big part of that too. Cause a lot of times we mistake our thirst for hunger, especially late in the day. So, I mean, I was drinking a gallon and a half to two gallons of water per day. Let's go over, sorry. Let's go over those rules again. Um, so you, you said you were, uh, 500 calories a meal. Per meal. Yep. Okay. Per meal. What was your biggest challenge with that? Because one of the things I hear is I don't want to count. I don't yeah. want to log. I don't want to, <laughs> what was, what was one of your biggest challenges with that? And how did you overcome it? So for me, I think honestly, the biggest challenge of that was that I had been doing quite a bit of intermittent fasting before then. And so I would hold off on eating until much later in the day. And then I would just have like one big meal. And so I got used to having like a thousand calorie meal, a 1500 calorie meal, switching to, to more of that, like eat less more often approach. I had to convince myself that I didn't need to eat until I was full yep. and that if I was still hungry, I could have a snack, you know, like there was no rule that said I couldn't, but learning, you know, what a, a 500 calorie meal looks like, it took a little practice. I mean, yeah, I had to weigh and measure for what the, the first week that I did it. And then it was like, I already had, you know, 10 meals that I could fall back on. You know, I know like, like I could grab a, an eight ounce New York strip, slap some butter on it and still be under 500 calories. So there's the key right there. It sounds to me like you had some go-to meals. Like it wasn't like you were sitting around trying to reinvent the wheel every time. It sounds right. like you had 10 go-to meals that you kind of constructed that you had to look up initially, but then you mm -hmm. just had go-to kind of things on your plate. Yeah, I mean, uh, I just another one that I did every morning was was egg whites. I would have like egg whites, two bacon. Uh, I had uh, a little measuring cup, and I don't remember if it was three fourths of a cup or a cup, but I knew it was exactly four full eggs of egg whites. So it was like twenty grams of protein, and it was like every morning, blah 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 blah, done. I didn't have to think about it after I had measured it out that one time. Okay, you know? so that's I mean, that's a helpful tip for people: just eat the same yeah. thing every day. I mean, really, is 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 and, what you're doing? Yeah, and have have a couple of that you can flip between. Because, I mean, think about this. Like, if, if I was having, uh, let's say, two eggs, two bacon, and two toast every morning, well, you could turn that into a bacon omelet and toast. You could make, yep. like, an egg and bacon sandwich. You know, like, you can mix the same things together in different ways and still get quite a bit of variety, but you don't have to, as you said just a second ago, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you sit yeah. down to eat, you know? Or maybe have a few breakfasts that you cycle through. Yeah. Monday, you have a shake. Tuesday, you have eggs and bacon. Uh, Wednesday, you have some sausage. I mean, it, you've got yeah, some options. And, there. and always have stuff available. That got to be huge, too. If I ever went to the to the fridge and there was nothing in it, I was in trouble. Because well, now it's like, choice. yeah, you end up having to, you know. You, know, you might not have time to run and do, do a, a grocery trip right then and there. And then you end up having to make a, I, I would say, a less desirable choice. Okay, and one of one of the one of the interesting things you actually told me on that regard is that was one of your danger areas where yeah. you would prep food. You live with your mother-in-law and father-in-law, yep. um, and, and your wife and, and kids, obviously, and where you would prep food and you would come home and you would find out someone had eaten your food, <laughs> and then <laughs> now you don't really know what to do. And and those were the nights you would tell me that you would get derailed, where yeah. you would make a bad choice. Yep. And and so how did you overcome that? I mean, uh, obviously, if if you live alone, you could you could uh, no one's going to eat your food. Um, I'm sure you could label your food and say, don't touch or something like that. Mm -hmm. But what would you do when you would come home and there was nothing in the fridge? What do you do then? You know, most of the nights I learned, I just I had to head right back out the door. All right. It's it's, you know, nine o'clock at night. I'm starving. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted. All I want to do is go to bed. But you know what? I just I got to go to the grocery store because I can make a better decision there than I'm going to at home. 
where all we have is bad choices left. Right? Yeah, which is a problem. And then the big thing was trying to prevent that at all costs, like doing everything you can to have a little something extra. You know, so uh, uh, back then I was ordering meat locker religiously. So I almost always had steaks in the fridge, Good. you know, so I could I could go and grab a steak. I could go and grab some burgers cooking in bulk, you know, doing like a, a, a crock pot and, and having that available. That's great. Uh, but also labeling the food. Uh, we had a separate fridge in the house, so I used to hide yep. a lot of my my prepared food in that fridge, and people just knew that's not available. Yeah, you know, there were a couple hey. times I had to have some words with my father in law, and we still joke yep. about it to this day. <laughs> and I feel like another thing you did is is sometimes you'd call me on the way home, and you'd actually go to the grocery store. Yeah, like you'd almost you'd almost anticipate the worst case scenario, getting home before it happened. Yeah. Like I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to pick up some chicken and I know I have food. Yeah. I mean, and think about it, like running in and getting like a, a rotisserie chicken, you know, that costs like what, six bucks, seven bucks, but it's good. And yeah, it's it just takes, what, five minutes yeah. maybe of your time. I mean, can, even like going through the drive through at McDonald's, it takes longer to go through the drive through than it does to park your car, go grab a rotisserie chicken and come back out. You're in and out within sure. 10 minutes. Easy for sure. So let's let's go on to a few of the other rules and, and mm-hmm. what you had problems with. So we talked about the three hours before bed. Yep. And one of the things you had said was if you were hungry, if you were going to break, you would just make a, a better decision. So yeah. it was protein and fat only. Yep. What about the low carb throughout the day? Did that cause you a lot of stress? You know, I thought it was it was going to be the hard one, and it ended up not really being an issue most of the time. And what I mean by most of the time is – Monday, not an issue. Tuesday, not an issue. Wednesday, not an issue. Thursday, I would wake up angry at the world. I just wanted to punch everyone in the face. And that was the day I would say, you know what? I'm going to eat something with some carbs in it. And then I was fine. How did you shut that off? Because I've heard that before, but people don't kind of eat a little bit of carbs. They almost pass out face down at a bowl of rice or spaghetti. Or, <laughs> and, and usually it's not something as good as rice or spaghetti. It's a bag yeah. of Doritos. Yeah. So how did, you, how did you shut that off? Well, I had to, I had to find things that were going to work for me, and I had to treat it like something in addition to everything else that I was doing. So I'd, I had reminded myself daily why I was doing what I was doing. You know? And I kept telling myself, like, hey, it's okay to be hungry. Uh, but that, that, that grumpiness, I guess, just being hangry is probably the hardest thing to deal with. Uh, and so that would be like, okay, I've got my regular lunch and you know what? I'm going to have just like a slice of pizza, you know? So I would go, go over We had a a grocery store right near the gym that would do pizza by the slice. And I could just buy like one slice, you know, so go in and that's it. And then I have like my regular lunch, you know, and that was just like in addition, but it felt like, like such a treat just doing that little bit but you had to you had to know that what that limit was going to be and that's smart for portion control because no one just has one slice of pizza if there's yeah. a whole pizza yeah. sitting you, there yeah you cook the whole pizza you eat the whole pizza in fact a, a good friend of mine once said uh you know you get down to the last slice and what does everybody do no matter how full they are they cram it in yeah and, and she said you know it's not like there's a world shortage of pizza you can throw it out there'll be more <laughs> yeah no so that's, so that's good that you'd almost do portion control in advance by yeah uh, the other thing, and, and I wonder if you did this, the other thing I've heard people do is 
if you're trying to do low carb, have a go-to meal that you really enjoy that, that makes you not yeah. miss carbs. And, and we talked about this. We went to teach a high-end military seminar together, and our go-to was ribs at Applebee's. Yeah. Yeah, because ribs would satisfy us late at night and we wouldn't feel like we were missing out on all the carbohydrate choices. And another example I use for that, I mean, if I had you over for dinner and I served you a steak and for the appetizer, I served you a, a, a charcuterie board. So I served you delicious salami, prosciutto and cheese. You wouldn't complain that there was no bread. No, not at all. You'd be, you'd be happy with what I served you. But if I give you the option of bread, you'll almost always fill up on it. Yeah, absolutely. So what were a few of the other rules? So we got the 500 calorie rule, three mm-hmm. hours before bed, no food, uh, low carbs throughout the day. What was mm-hmm. what were the other two again, just so so we can recap for people? Oh, yeah. No carbs after three. Yep. And that one uh, I kind of touched on a little bit earlier, but that was more of just like a behavioral control for me. Okay. To just say like if I was going to have carbs, I had to get them before three o'clock. And if I didn't get them, they were gone for the day. And you just had to wait oh, yeah. until the next day. Um, and so, like I said, I don't think there's some magic, like your body doesn't necessarily know it's 3 PM. And at that time it does something differently with its fuel sources. Um, it was more of just, I knew that if I started breaking that rule, then all bets were off. Gaia. So, and, so and, and, and that's an interesting thing too, because a lot of people, science, just or not science training, isn't just a science. I mean, a big part of training is the art of training people where you may not be doing uh, uh, something, you know, quote unquote, scientifically by the book, but behavioral modification is almost more important. Yeah, I think a lot of coaches will will latch on to a, a scientific study, but they will forget entirely about the psychological aspect of it. Yes. And, and psychology trumps all. I've taught that yeah. for years. Absolutely. Right? And then the drink lots of fluids was the final rule. So we've got yeah, yeah. we've got eat small meals, less than 500 calories. Uh, essentially what I call eat meat and veggies. I mean, you're going mm-hmm. low carb. Um, no food three hours before bedtime. Uh, no carbs after 3 p.m. And then drink lots of fluids. Why was, I mean, obviously we can go, we could dedicate eight podcasts to the science <laughs> of hydration. But for someone that doesn't really care to perform as a super high-end athlete and whether their muscles are at 97 or 98% muscle function, what what was the biggest thing for you about drinking water? Was it that it 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 helped you not stay hungry? Or yeah, I, I think that that was a big big part of it. Was you know there, I never allowed myself to get into a position where I couldn't tell the difference between thirsty and hungry. Got you. You know, and it's, and in in the beginning, like it it almost took my mind off of the rest of the nutrition because it was like a chore to try to get that much water, you know, and to make that a habit. You know, and, and really your body just has to adapt to having that, that amount of fluid running through it. Um, but once you do, it's, it's just better. Just everything is better. You recover faster. Um, you just feel better all around. So like, why wouldn't you? How long would it say it took you to adjust to these? So I'm, I'm hearing this and it sounds on paper like you could have a pretty enjoyable day. I mean, if I'm looking at it, 500 calories a meal, Mm -hmm. you could wake up and, and a couple of eggs and some bacon and some toast doesn't sound that bad to me for breakfast yeah and then for a snack maybe some full fat greek yogurt and some raspberries uh-huh. that sounds pretty enjoyable to me for lunch maybe a half rack of ribs or a you said a new york steak and some butter that sounds like a great lunch to me yeah uh and then maybe for dinner uh you guys ever heard of this uh mongolian grill 
There was one where I lived in Toronto where you oh, could yeah. go and you could get vegetables and some olive oil or, or, or some like chili oil and all kinds of meat and make a delicious stir fry. I mean, when I think about that in my head, it sounds like a pretty damn good day. But when you're in the throes of it, and I've had people go on this type of diet before, they complain and it's hard and it's difficult. But it really isn't when you're making choices that you enjoy. How long would it say, would you say it took you to really um, embrace this and where it became a lifestyle instead of a chore? Well, I think each of the rules kind of has its own timeline. Like the low carb thing really wasn't that hard for me to, to latch on to. The, uh, the 500 calorie meals, that took a few days. And that was mostly just because of, I think, the work that goes into it. Initially, you have to, to weigh things out and get an idea of what 500 calories looks and feels like. And then there's a little bit of a, uh, adapting to that because I'd been eating much larger meals prior to that. Um, so I'd say that one maybe took a week. All right. Okay. Uh, the hydration probably took about a week. And I think there's just some physiological stuff that happens there. You know, at a certain point, you stop running to the bathroom every hour on the hour. Yep. Um, and, and once you get to that point, that's not, not so bad at all. Uh, the late night, like not eating late. Um, that was a constant battle. That was really okay. a constant battle. And I, I, I say that, yeah, I did, I did kind of bend that rule and I would go with, with my, my goat cheese and, and egg white omelets. That wasn't super common. That was usually like, for whatever reason, I didn't get enough calories that day. Like I might've had my breakfast, my lunch, but I didn't get my dinner and now it's late at night. What am I going to do? I wasn't going to starve myself, you know, like that, that was, uh, okay, this is going to be my dinner. It's just going to be late. It wasn't in addition to dinner just because I was hungry sort of a thing. And I feel like this is a good lead-in for our next segment because looking at the time here, we're at about 50 minutes. So we got mm-hmm. about eight to nine minutes left maybe so we sure. can wrap this thing up in under an hour. But I feel like in talking to you, one of the things that triggered your late night eating more than anything was stress. Yeah. And, you know, stress is another part of this program. I, I classify it under a – uh, the word recovery and to, you know, and that's stress and sleep, but tell us a little bit about that and how that affected your transformation. Because I have trained people before that I've said, there's nothing I can do as a trainer to outdo the amount of stress you put yourself through on a daily basis. Yeah. Like it's almost like stress is a governor that prevents us from improving. So to tell us a little bit about stress management and and what you did to alleviate stress in your life. Well, the the first thing is to prioritize sleep because I knew that if I was only getting six hours of sleep, there nothing else was going to matter. You know what I mean? It, it was just like such an important part of everything, just from the, the physical stress and the recovery that's needed, but also just the, the, the ability to deal with the other stress that comes up. And so bedtime was like sacred. Okay. And and I was in a position where I didn't even need to set an alarm in the morning. And so that I think was a really big help that I knew like, and, and but trust me, by the end of the day, I was exhausted. I was pretty, I was ready for bed. Uh, so I'd hit the pillow and I'd go out and I was getting eight to nine hours a night and, and waking up without an alarm, like ready to go. Uh, and so that helped. I think that puts you in a position where you're going to be able to deal with the other kinds of stress a lot better. The other thing was what we talked about earlier was just being able to say no and that being final. This is my time. No, I'm not available. No, I'm not answering that call. Or if somebody was bringing something up to me, having the ability to delegate things down. You know, I had other coaches to rely on. So it actually became an opportunity for for some of my employees to step up and take on new roles. And that was, I guess, one of the benefits of doing my transformation that I hadn't anticipated. Relying on other people. Yeah. And let me ask another question about limiting yourself with stress, especially with the power of no. 
did you have to get rid of toxic people from your life? And, and toxic's a pretty strong word. Maybe I shouldn't say it like that. But did you find yourself having to avoid positions of stress? Finding oh, yourself yeah. in, a, in a position where oh, not yeah. being involved in gossip, not putting <laughs> yourself in stressful positions, not listening to other people's complaints. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was thick at the time. Um, there was a lot going on right around that time. Um, but I guess it, it kind of had to happen and it did happen organically because I was so focused on what I was trying to do that I really just, I didn't have the mental bandwidth to deal with it. And so when things would kind of bubble up when, uh, you know, Oh, she said this, Oh, he said that I would just put my hand up and walk away. I just, I don't have time for that. I just can't even process that right now. Like I'm, I'm too, I'm hungry. I'm crabby. You know, I'm tired. I got another workout. I got to muster up some strength for like, I just don't have time for that stuff. And, and once that became sort of my, my, my default setting, it just stopped coming up. And yeah, I people think stop bringing it up to you. They do not getting the reaction they want from you. Absolutely. And you know, like you, you get what you ask for in life, you know, whether you think it's what you're asking for or not. And I think that that was very, very true in that case is that after, after a couple of weeks, I just, people just knew, just don't even bother them with it. Well, and even something as simple, I have a rule in my gym, no negative self-talk. I don't yeah. want to be around it. So if someone starts to bring up the, I suck, I'm no good at this. I'm not going to be successful. I shut them right down mm-hmm. because I don't need that negativity in my life. And that's what I talk about getting rid of toxic people or toxic situations. Because if you're highly stressed from a physical side, there's all kinds of negative chemical reactions in your body that will either cause you to lose muscle mass or gain fat, both of which you don't really want. You don't want to lose muscle and gain fat at the same time. That's the polar opposite of what you're trying to do. And the other side of it is, is when you're stressed, it leads to all kinds of negative behaviors. Like you said, eating at night. Yeah. Yeah. You're tapped out. So why are you tapped out with other people's problems and pettiness rather than working on yourself? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Would you have any other stress management or recovery uh, techniques for people? Because the reality is for a lot of people, this is going to sound scary and hard. I've got to, I've got to follow these nutritional rules. I, I've got to train once or twice a day. Like this is going to be a uh, and I don't think we appreciated as coaches, uh, sorry to, to jump a train of thought here, but yeah. I don't think we appreciated as coaches because we're people who've always kind of trained. I mean, you were ready for a transformation and even though you were relatively, uh, I shouldn't say that you weren't as fit as you could have been, but right. you weren't unfit. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you were carrying some extra body fat, but you had worked out at least three times a week for the last 10 years, yeah. right? Like, what does a person do who's got to jump from nothing? I mean, absolutely nothing. That's a pretty pretty big mountain to climb. So do you have any yeah. other advice for people that are trying to do that? Kind of back to the original question, like what were the other parts of, of my recovery? Um, the big one was contrast showers. So okay. ice, ice cold showers, I learned to look forward to those. I, I cannot speak enough of how effective that was for me. As far as getting yourself into a position where where you're ready for a transformation, I mean, you have to look at the big picture, you know, and you have to understand your why. Like, why are you trying to do this? You know, and, and, and for me, uh, being a coach who had given up a lot to help everyone else, it was sort of the realization that the one person that I was neglecting was me. 
You know, and the one person that I'm 100% responsible for is me. And the only person who is going to help me grow my business and, and get to that next level was also me. And so I had to make those appointments with me and make that agreement with myself that I was going to follow the rules and I was going to stick to it. And, and having a support system is huge. You know, like, like you said, we talked every day. If I had a, had a snag, if I started kind of spiraling into any kind of negative space, I knew I could call you up and you were going to set me straight. And so having somebody to be sort of ground control for you is really, really big too. And then I think too, just managing your expectations and understanding like, yeah, if you're an ex-professional athlete and you're trying to go through this, that's one thing. But if you've never even worked out a day in your life, like one step at a time, you don't have to like, you don't have to push so hard that it becomes torture. You shouldn't have to like, like be making, you know, grimmest faces and crying about your workouts. Like it should still be fun. For sure. Because if it's not fun, it's not maintainable. So the two exactly. big takeaways from that are accountability. Mm-hmm. Have somebody to help hold you accountable if you can't hold yourself accountable and then enjoy the process a little bit. Yeah. Like show up, have some fun. Maybe get a workout group of friends you really like working out with yeah. or training with because that's one of the things and I'll, I'll say this on record. That's where I think CrossFit is one of the best fitness systems in the world because they turned fitness into people's communities. Like you go to the gym, your friends are part of the gym. You do dinners, you do challenges together. You do Christmas parties together. Like it becomes such a part of your life that you don't want to miss because you don't want to miss out on the fun. Yeah. 100% agree. You can build that yourself. So to, to wrap this up, I mean, I, I, I really hope everyone here goes to the show notes and, and looks at what Joe did. We'll also include a link to the men's health article that was done on you. And the tremendous transformation you made. But it really is quite remarkable what you were able to do. I mean, you went from looking like a guy who had maybe lifted a couple of his weights in his life, but was, you know, relatively unshape Mm -hmm. um, or or unfit to looking like a cover model for men's health. And especially at 40 years old, like you didn't do this at 28 or 27. You did this at an age where most people are ready to roll over and die and give up. Yep. So it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, I think. And, and it's one of those things that it's, it's, you know, affected you in all kinds of positive ways. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and looking back on it, I guess the final thing is the other thing with you is I've never heard you complain about it. Like I, I've never heard you say it wasn't worth it, <laughs> which is, which is funny. And yeah. I've never heard you say, this is too hard. I'm going to quit. Like, it seems like it's doable for a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, there were, there were hard days, but you know what? Like I got through them, you know, and, and honestly, there were, there were more good days than bad for sure. And by the end, I, I remember uh, texting you some of my workout results and just amazed at my own level of fitness. Like I was hitting yeah. numbers on some of those workouts that I thought were unattainable. And it was just like, no, it wasn't that bad. Well, for sure. And that's, and that's a final point I guess we should end on. I mean, mm-hmm. understand everyone out there that fitness is a relative term. Like when I say you were relatively unfit, I'm judging you by an incredible standard. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm judging you by what you're trying to do in your work, right? Like you're a trainer. I expect you to have a certain level of fitness. Um, but for everyone out there, no matter where you start, you can improve. And that's the beauty of training. And it's not that complicated. No matter how stressed you are, how busy you are, you, you follow these rules, good things are going to happen. Absolutely. This has been really interesting. Um, I hope that everyone gets a lot out of that. Like I said, uh, visit the show notes. And uh, on that note, we would love to thank our sponsors again, uh, our title sponsor, 
Lalo Tactical. Uh, if you want the best boots and shoes on, on the market uh, for training or, or tactical type use, certainly visit www.lalotactical.com. It's a company I'm involved with and a company I love. And we've mentioned Meat Locker. Uh, it came up organically during the podcast today. Uh, it's something that you ate regularly, Joe, that helped yeah. you with your uh, your diet. It's uh, I, I think it's some of the finest meat in the United States that you order on the internet. It comes to your door and You've always got good food on hand. So if you're interested in checking that out, uh, www.meatlocker.com. 